Hey folks, thanks for listening to Saul Searching on the FYIZ podcast feed. I'm John, and my guest this week is my friend Bob Rose, who returns to the show to discuss Nippy, the 10th episode of Better Call Saul's sixth and final season. This was written by the great Allison Tatlock and directed by the great Michelle McLaren. Uh, a couple of big heavy hitters in the um, in the Vince Gilligan-averse, or Peter Goldiverse. This episode also has a great guest cast, uh, folks like Carol Burnett and uh, Pat Healy and Jim O'Hare. So um, yeah, let's get to it. Here's Saul Searching. Thank you, Bob, for coming back on Soul Searching, and I think it worked out to be a pretty cool episode to talk about. This was like a yeah, a, a big like a, sort of a self-contained episode in a lot of ways, and also just a, a huge step towards something that we've been talking about since this show began. What did you think of Nippy? I was number one. I was like, thanks for having me. Number two, yes. I was kind of blindsided by this episode because I just was. I mean, who's expecting this, right? Right. Like, who's expecting a black and white episode that is actually. I was thinking the whole time, like, what is the framing of this almost? I was like, outside of what was the movie that he released on Netflix? Um, El Camino. Uh, the breaking... Outside of El Camino, this episode really is like the sequel to Breaking Bad, right? Right. Like, this is showing us potentially what, this is what we thought Better Call Saul was going to be. Right. We either thought it was going to be this, or we thought it was going to be what they seemingly skipped over. In getting to this right, episode, right. which is where we got at the end of the last episode, which is right, Jimmy, right. like a guy, a person sitting behind that desk that we can recognize just as easily as Jimmy as as Saul. And now we have we have Gene, like a Gene adventure. Right, right. Uh, you know, in Thor Love and Thunder, another Thor adventure. It's another Gene adventure. It's that, another Gene adventure, right. But yeah. this was like this reintegrated man who seemed like... This I don't know. I really want to get into that notion of this episode of like the version we see of this character in this episode is this highly refined shark-like uh, version of this character who almost has nothing to lose. Yeah, it it it's like it almost this episode while it's a sequel to Breaking Bad and it would be fine if it came out after Breaking Bad like if we just saw this as a short film or something. Yeah, but without the knowledge of Better Call Saul and the journey he's been through, it wouldn't work the same. No, it really wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we wouldn't have all this inside info into what kind of character he truly is. Well, like that moment where he starts revealing real details about himself in a fake... He's crying. In a fake monologue. Right. Yeah. But it's like, that. You we know that he's either going somewhere real or sort of cheapening his own real experience by mentioning it in that way. But we know he's not above, like... He's like, exploiting his own actual trauma mm -hmm. to, to, to grift somebody. <laughs> to actually pull off a scam. And I love the fact, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that the scam is nothing. Right. It's so nothing. I was like, <laughs> I was like, at first, the whole episode, I was like, what is he going to do? Something big? Is he going to rob the safe? Or is he going to like take this whole place over? What is he doing? And it turns out they're just stealing, what, a few thousand dollars worth of merchandise? I mean, as a lesson, as an object lesson to these guys, that's either both like, it's kind of a, all right, go away, you bother me, but it's like the whole mutually assured destruction line he gives them. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of shows recently and realizing that good storylines have that built in. Uh, the the Boys was another show I enjoyed a lot recently. Right. Where, same. Where I got to somewhere in the middle of this most recent season, I was like, well, these characters, half of them could just kill the other person and almost not have to pay any consequences. But there's 
often that mutually assured destruction notion. And I was like, oh, so a lot of the best stories are held together. Game of Thrones was that way when it was at its best. It was like characters who could destroy each other who didn't because of some reason why this would fall back on me and my plan will actually go better if this person does this and I'm going to sit back and let them kill each other, all that stuff. Yeah. I could feel that growing in the episode and I, I, I thought like there would be some parting of the ways. Now, I, I don't think this is the last we're going to see of uh, the character Jeff on the show. I've heard... They they sort of referred to this. Uh, Peter Gould in an interview about this episode said that some of the stuff that Pat Healy does as Jeff that you haven't seen yet is really great. And I was like, oh, that's a rare, that's a rare like tease that goes beyond that. They don't usually tease much at all on this show, especially at this point about what the future of it is. So right, how many episodes are left? There's three left. Okay, and it seems like we're going to get some stuff that takes us into that like that's back in the Breaking Bad era, just because it's going to fill in a few details, um, but. As far as three episodes left and the storytelling space they have in this gene portion of the story, it really does feel like they don't have to go back. I think the main thing is just how how he falls in with Mike and Gus to the extent that he's in with them. You know, th- that still is not really told, but that's about it. But wasn't um, the nitty gritty of it is this this whole episode was uh, how he got his groove back, how he gets his mojo back again, right? I mean, that's, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It's like any uh, good show, too, like The Sopranos or something, where if you take the mob guy and you make him do a nine to five, he starts, or, or like Eastbound and Down, you take Kenny Powers and you give him a nine to five, he starts to go slowly insane and he eventually has to do something crazy again. Right. You know, and I feel like that's what this is. Like, yeah, he can work at Cinnabon for a couple of years, but eventually he's going to have to, like, not, he's going to have to steal something. <laughs> he's going to have to have a scheme. He's going to have to lie to people, deceive people, do what he's good at, right? Well, and and use what's at hand. Like, he not just, right, he right. doesn't just do this, this whole scheme. He looks around, he uses the power of Cinnabon. The power of the mall. Right. Yeah. And the history that he has with the guard where he's, he's, he may have uh, pissed the guard off in the past. There's this beautiful moment where you feel the guard kind of softening up towards him. And then in the montage when they're like faking football throws and stuff, it's just this absurd like brotherhood that he forms with these guys. And it's once again proof that like that Jimmy, he's good with people. He really does know how to charm the heck out of people. Um, but you're right. He's using it in this extremely manipulative way that that feels mean-spirited, even if you can feel him doing everything he can to make this a nobody gets hurt uh, sort of proposition. I also, I saw also like a, a little bit of a, a comedian deal or something. You know that scene in Watchmen where he's like, you're my best friend to his, to, to his, his uh, arch enemy. Yeah. Where I was like, this guy, uh, Jerry from Parks and Rec, right? Jim O'Hare. Um, this, Jim O'Hare, right. Um, I was like, in a way, he sort of is Jimmy's current best friend. Yes. Like, even if he's doing this whole scheme and everything, I was like, he's really alone. He has no one. Right. And I was like, this is as close as he's going to get to people from now on in his life. Like, to a, a part of a scheme, just like with Carol Burnett and everything. Like, it's all fake, but that's about as close as he's ever going to let himself get. Because he's, I think it's after Kim, right? Yeah. Like, he's never going to open up to anyone again. So anytime he actually does open up, it's all facade for some other purpose. It's really sad, actually. Like, this episode was way sadder. For as fun and as humorous as it was, it was way sadder to me. Well, when I was talking about this re- this reintegrated version of him, I do mean he's a little bit scarier as this new form, this this new nothing to lose guy. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. cool to watch him like. I mean, if you look at the, he's going to solve a problem, which is that this guy has recognized him. Yeah, this was a very fun way for him to rec- 
for him to solve that problem. And and nobody got hurt. Well, Jim O'Hare did did gain some weight. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he probably went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, "What's happening, man? Your cholesterol's up." Yeah, you got you got type type two diabetes, dude. Like, stop. This episode was full of these this crack team of comedic genius actors like Pat Healy, the guy who plays the, the recast Jeffy, the cab driver. Mm -hmm. Um, he is, uh, 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 not always in comedies, but he, I do think of him as a guy who brings a comic like edginess to every role that he does just about. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, seeing all these, I always love how this show just from the beginning, they did it with Michael McKean and Bob Odenkirk in scenes together where you go, Oh, they ring real drama. They get these comedy geniuses to do this incredibly dramatic work. And I do think that like the observational abilities of good comedians, uh, people who can whip up characters the way that good comedians can sketch comedians, especially. Well, comedians also are character actors, right? Picking up on human ticks and stuff is what sketch comedians do because they have to come up with 10 characters, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that this show bringing Carol Burnett, who's a sketch comedian genius uh, in her own right, like into this, into the fold and getting her to play this dramatic part where like, she totally brings all of that same all that same skill set that I was just talking about to bear on this character who you never feel that sorry for because she's tough as hell, even though Jimmy's manipulating her. He's, you know, I don't know. There's something about that character that maintained her integrity throughout the whole scheme. And in fact, she kind of becomes like the angel on Jimmy's shoulder at the end, or at least right, like the right. reminder of how bad he's being when she's like, my son needs you in his life. You're a good influence. You know, um, you know, that kind of shit cuts deep. It also becomes kind of a threat to Pat Healy, too, because he's like, oh, fuck, my mom loves this guy. Right. Like, what can Jimmy do with that? You know, yeah. like, you better listen to me. You better say it's over, you know. But back to what we were saying about the scheme with uh, the nobody gets hurt. Ed, yeah, Frank, the security guard, um, is really only guilty of being one of those guys who you all like you. If, I remember I used to have barbers and doctors that I would I would always ask my dad, like, what had happened at the game that weekend? So that when I went into my doctor's appointment, he said, well, Johnny, what do you think of the game? I knew to say, oh, Jimmy Johnson sure could run with the ball and like get the guy off my back, you know, but I never knew what was going on. Right. So I love the way Jimmy was like learning just what he needed to know to perfectly say the right thing to this guy. But the first time they talked, I love how the con man skills of Jimmy were on such display with like teasing out what the guy was going to say so that he knows next time to do this instead. And, and like the way that like when he comes down the hall and they open the door before he gets there because they can see him on the camera. Um, and then the other guard warming up, that was when I really started laughing was when the other guard, you could tell started to like Jimmy or two or Gene. Due to the, the, uh, the repetition of working in retail and security, it almost had a groundhog day effect because every day for these guys is literally the same. Yes. So he could just keep memorizing things and memorizing things and going forward. It was great. And the trickster spirit of him is like, he's Bugs Bunny. I love any conversation where you know the other person's bullshitting and suffer like Bob Odenkirk was like, when he's like, what'd you think of the game? He's like, well, what can I say? You know, like, and he's just totally responding to it. And we, we got like two or three conversations that were just full of that. But then he's starting to know to say, I'll tell you number seven or whatever. Like he knows the, the right thing to say. Oh, he started looking it up. Right. Like, you know, he needed actual information. Yeah. And lovingly making the, the Cinnabon. I feel like Cinnabon couldn't pay for better advertising than this, because even if even if it's depicted as like a treat, you shouldn't indulge in that often. It's definitely depicted as like, this is the way to to trick somebody is <laughs> to show up with a Cinnabon. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, the only the only disservice to Cinnabon is it's black and white. If yeah. that was in color, I would literally be ordering yeah. a Cinnabon right now. Like, I, that's the only way I could resist <laughs> is the is the lack of saturation. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, I do want to, you kind of got into this a minute ago, but I actually want to uh, delve a little bit more into kind of the timeline thing yeah, as yeah. far as like where this falls, because this is where I started to get really curious today about like the timeline of this whole show. Now we've seen flashbacks to like 10 years ago, we, like when Jimmy in season one goes back to Chicago and hangs out with Marco. Um, mm-hmm. Marco says it's been 10 years since you left. So Jimmy's been in Albuquerque trying to impress Chuck for 10 years. All those slipping Jimmy flashbacks and the, the Chicago sunroof and all that stuff, that all happened 10 years ago back in Chicago. So where, where our show starts, though, is he's been away for basically 10 years. He's been in Albuquerque. It starts in May 13th, 2002. Season one through part of season four is just from May 13th of 2002 through March of 2003. So the first three and a half seasons just about are like less than a year's worth of time. Okay. And then there's a nine month jump at the point where Jimmy has, remember he had a year before he could get his degree back? Yeah, yeah. Or he could start practicing law again. And he's like selling cell phones to criminals while Kim is becoming this crack hotshot lawyer. Mm-hmm. And remember that episode that had the great montage that showed their days like side by side, how their morning routine started to differ and everything. Mm-hmm. All the songs Something Stupid played. That was a nine month time jump uh, in that one montage. Oh, okay. And then I could it all by saying something stupid like I love you. That's the longest jump. That was like from March of 2003 to January of 2004. Okay. Now, what's funny about that is then from January uh, 2004 through where they just did the time jump to Saul in the most recent episode is just June of 2004, like towards the end of June. So there's about a six-month period that's from season four through season five and into that recent time jump. So like this show really is a very expanded timeline. They get really granular with it. Right. Then it was originally theorized that it was about a seven-month time jump from from that moment with Jimmy and Kim breaking up to Saul on the rotating bed. That was theorized at about seven months. But then Thomas Schnauz, one of the writers for the show, confirmed online that that's actually about a two to three year jump. Okay. So it puts us somewhere in 2006, 2007. It's just kind of ambiguously before Saul meets Walt. Okay. Breaking Bad starts in... September of 2008, which is when Walt turns 50, and that's when he finds out he has cancer. And that show kind of ends about two years later. Walt's back in town. He's 52. That's when he saves Jesse. So Walt's dead September 7th of 2010. Jesse's on the road to Alaska about about six days later. He spends a few days running around and then escapes. On September 13th, 2010, now here we are. Gene, we've been watching him. He's in mid to late October of 2010. So this is a long ass time after Saul. Yeah. Right. After Saul. But it's only about six months after we last saw Saul on Breaking Bad. Right. He's been in Omaha for about six months when we pick up with him in this Gene forward, you know, this flash forward okay. with Gene. Yeah. So now we're in mid-October. Now, the only date we have that's after this, do you remember on Better Call Saul, it was uh, in the middle of season four, season four, episode five, there was a flash forward to Saul and Francesca in Saul's office, and it was set at the time when Saul calls the disappearer. Yes, I believe I do remember, yeah. Probably about April of 2010, and, and he says to her, Okay, when the cops come talk to you, and they will, what are you going to tell them? Talk to my attorney. Yeah. Tell them, uh, Jimmy sent you. Okay, and where are you going to be November 12th at 3 p.m.? I'll be there, but if it doesn't ring at 3 on the dot, I'm gone. Don't worry. It's going to ring. Well... Yes, uh, that's it. <laughs> Quite right, huh? I love you. I love you. I 
So somewhere about a month after Gene that we just watched, they're supposed to be Francesca at a certain location to receive a phone call. To see her phone call. You think we're going to see that? I can only imagine there's some, he wants to get a message to her so that she can get a message to Kim or something. I mean, I don't know what, because he's, you know, he's hidden or what, I don't know. There's got to be some, I don't think they're going to forget that moment because that's like the only thing on the timeline that's forward of Gene that they've even commented on is that on November 12th. So you think we'll actually see, we're still going to see beyond Gene from here on out. You don't think this is more of a, I don't know, this, like this could have been just more of a character tale, right? Like they have to, they wanted to get out of the way what the future is before they finish off the past. I think there's more future to finish off than there is past, but I also think there's past to finish off. That's what's so intriguing about it is I don't think yeah, yeah. If, if they didn't already, if they didn't have the stuff with Mike and Gus that's sort of unresolved, I would yeah. be thinking, uh, or the fact that they've been promising Walt and Jesse, not that I particularly I care about that. that, but they've said it's happening. Yeah. So that has to happen in that time span too, because Walt is dead about a month and a half before we ever meet Gene. When we meet Gene, Walt's been dead that long, but he's been in Omaha for maybe six months. And what's right. interesting is that Jesse is has been on the road too. So you're right about the fact that we're watching the farthest point forward in the timeline of, of Breaking Bad. That we Bad, ever have. Right, when we see Gene doing what he's doing now. But we do have this promise of something that's supposed to happen on November 12th that involves Francesca. And I just feel like Kim has to be, in, if there is more future, Kim has to somehow be involved in that um, because they gave such a clean break for, there's such a, there's such a good reason for her not to be around for any of the ensuing years, uh, you know what I mean? Like I bet he won't even have her number or her address unless unless she wants him to have it after she right, leaves. Right. So I don't know. I just think that it's interesting that that time jump. That's a big space. That's like those few years after that before he meets Walt is it feels like oh well they haven't told that story. But I also don't know that that feels like story that they feel like. They have to tell. I feel like they've sort of argued this whole time with this whole show has been an argument that you don't need to tell that stuff that you were picturing when you first heard they were doing this show. I'm happy you reminded me of this because when it does happen, if they do call back to that phone call, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to know now because there's there. I'll, I'll admit there is stuff in the show that I forget the callbacks to just because it's a very complex, very well-written show. You know, my mind is trash. It's just like, wait, wait, was that important? Did we see it before? So, yeah, sometimes I don't grab everything. Well, I, I didn't until I saw all that. But the main thing I got from that was just where, okay, so this all does, you know, there was some debate about where in that year, how long Gene had been in Omaha. Because if he had been there just a few right, months, right. then technically Walt's still alive and Jesse's still you know, like it just placed him inside the Breaking Bad timeline rather than outside of it. Where'd you get that timeline from? If you just look up Breaking Bad timeline or Better Call Saul timeline, you'll see where people got the information. There'll be a picture of a check that someone's writing and it'll have the date on it. There'll be a newspaper. Yeah. There'll be a radio in the background. There was one, the, the Gene one, supposedly there's a podcast where they, it's dated. Rick, Rich Eisen has a podcast. He's like a sports guy. Oh, no, no, like no, someone's he's... listening to where the date is mentioned or that it's from that date that someone did the research to figure out, oh, that's from October 21st. 2010 or whatever. <laughs> so like, that's how people know. I mean, I'm glad someone else is doing all that. Yeah, no, it's great. But it's it means yeah. that the show is telling you that without it really ever being that important. And the only reason it could ever be important is if you're trying to do what I just wanted to do, which is lay out like where we are in the timeline. If we stick with Gene at this point, we're seeing, like you said, right. a true sequel, even more so than El Camino, which was a true sequel in some ways to Breaking Bad. Um, well, it's, that's the most intentional sequel. This is like... This is what I thought when I sat down. Remember, I told you I like binged yeah. all of Saul last or twenty twenty, and this is when I sat down to watch it. I didn't know Saul was a prequel. I expected what we just watched this week, so this is cool for me. 
because I was like, okay, so this is what I always expected it to be. All along, we were saying, eventually, we're going to get a whole Gene episode. Are they going to do a whole black and white, or is it going to turn color? What's going to happen? That's all black and white. Right. And yeah. when it was, yeah, and it's just beautifully photographed in black and white. It's so fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it got me to thinking about this with great shows. So it's kind of a broader question that we can get into, but also to talk more about the how great this episode is. But like, Great episodes of shows being outlier episodes or like special different episodes. Yeah. What is the perfect Better Call Saul episode? Is it something like this that's just like, if you could just watch it as a film, it's so self-contained, you could just about appreciate it? Or would it be like some random episode you can't even think of where there's like three subplots and they're all cooking and there's like great montages? You know, you'd have to almost go through episode by episode and, and like grade them. Now, this is not to say that I don't love the show now. But I think that my ideal Better Call Saul, if I take in everything that I've gotten so far, is uh, season two or three, Mm -hmm. because I really enjoyed the interplay between Michael McKeon and Howard and uh, Jimmy. Um, That's when... That really hooked me. That got me back into everything. You know what I mean? Right. Like that. And now everybody's dead. Isn't that <laughs> they're crazy? All dead. Yeah, they're all dead. And I, I, I'm totally stoked on what's going on. It's just like, you know, I really loved Howard and I really loved Jim, you know, his brother and everything. It's like Chuck. And I just, uh, I'd probably go back to that era for my ideal episode. But this episode works without the show. Right. That that's something to be said for that, right? Just like Fly works without you could watch Fly as a short film and it it works. Mm-hmm. This works too. You don't even need you can even if you watch this and you remove it's hard for me and you to remove our knowledge of it, but you can tell this guy has something going on outside of his life mm-hmm. and he's cooking up a scheme and everything. It works as a little film. Like this could have been the first episode of this show. Totally. You can come in here like completely cold and just go with it. Or you could have come in expecting like, oh, this is the Saul show after Breaking Bad and get this and yeah. instantly go, oh, is it going to be about him trying to stay hidden? Is it going to be him on the run? Right, right. And I do like the way this episode ends with him clearly, you know, you almost see the colors of that loud shirt and that tie that he looks at at the end. And you could feel him. I mean, so much of him wants to like, he's, it's interesting to see him kind of wanting the showmanship. Like if that it really is only a seven month difference when Kim leaves and then he's on the rotating bed. That's not that didn't take him long to uh you know to go that far with his garishness and like to change the look of the law office and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting idea that that's his actual some some of that's Jimmy's actual bad taste and some of that's his almost like in joke with himself about the kind of guy that he's portraying, you know, like an observational humor. This whole the one of the great things about this episode is the whole time I really didn't know where it was going. I didn't. And like when he was actually like he when he was teaching the guy to steal certain things. Right. My first thought in my head was, is Jimmy trying to rebuild his wardrobe so that he has actually another plan (laughs) that he's that he needs to dress well and have these items to execute? I actually thought that that was the point of this. Is this just the cog in the machine of a bigger plan? No, it really wasn't, was it? It was just more of. I want to. I want to do. I need to feel alive, right? Like, and I want to teach this guy a lesson 
about about trying to have something over on me. And right. I also want to, if the guy wants to be mad at me, have actually taught him a little bit about pulling off a scheme like this. I mean, he does give the guy sort of a, a like I said before, there's an object lesson in detail-oriented planning. And Jimmy is this, I mean, I like how much he thinks about. I like that he um, doesn't necessarily make a fool, even when he's like talking to the manager of the department store and he's kind of sort of bamboozling her. She he plays her smarts and her her like kindness into the scheme. He doesn't really make her the butt of you know what I mean. He he's he 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 makes it so that people feel like it was their idea almost at every step of the way in the con yeah, that yeah. he's pulling off. And so yes, in the security guards, that means he has to show up with a cinnabon and bribe them that way and ingratiate himself to them over time and do this long con with with the woman on the phone. It's just a matter of like. I've I've just got to say this in this certain way and make it sound like if she complains further, she's going to get this guy in trouble. And he's playing the woman's kindness in that moment of going, well, okay, if he can pick it up in the morning, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, have to make the guy get in trouble with his boss or whatever. And it's like Jimmy just knows that. I mean, it's 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 an awful thing to do, but it does feel like when he thinks maybe there's about to be a complication when he sees the Jeffy Pat Healy slip and fall, and he's stalling for time there. Um, not only is his performance in that moment just hilarious and and gripping, you know, uh, but that's when it's like, oh, wait, someone's going to get like, and even you, the viewer, are watching it going, oh, this is not going to be the fun time crime that that uh, Saul, Gene, wanted it to be. Right, right. Um, there's going to be someone going to prison or there's going to be a fight between this guy and the, the I thought the cleaner guy was going to come through to clean that scuff mark off the floor. I thought there was going to be so many ways it could go wrong. That it's funny that in the end it went right, but you realize what you take from that is that shark-like scary version of this character that we see where right. you're like, oh, yeah. What is he actually capable of? Right. Yeah. What's he capable of? And like th- this, the the moment with Marion where she says to him, you know, I'm glad you're in our lives or whatever. It's like, it, it's it's that moment. It's been, we've, we've seen Jimmy face this moment before. He sometimes doesn't seem to realize that he could just have friends. I, one of the One of the things that... Uh, when he has the breakdown, you know, after the guy hits his head and he's doing that whole breakdown scene, one of the things I love is my my thought process was, oh man, now he can't bring the Cinnabon in anymore yeah. and talk with this security guard because now he's made it awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, what I love about Jim O'Hare's performance is like he feels sad for him, but I'm also like, I don't think he thinks their relationship reached this point. Yeah. So, like he, he's not going to be that great about this anymore. So I was like, Jimmy kind of lost his only friend who was also fake. Yeah. It could be seen <laughs> like almost as part of his plan almost that like at right, the end right, of this, they're yeah. not going to be wanting me to come back the next night. Or if the guy anyway, says, where's, right, where's yeah. Gene? And the guy's going to say, you know, things got kind of weird with Gene last night. He's dealing with some stuff, you know? Yeah. But also yeah. you realize that the plan was worked out so that, it didn't matter if he stopped or not because the the idea is that the tapes are going to be scrubbed in three days because no one's going to be looking for anything on them. Right, right. So that's the only thing that I could see going wrong. I could also see if there is more Jeffy, I could see him like wanting more and thinking like, hey, it's not that simple. It's still worse for you if I come forward. I feel like Pat Healy, if, if there is supposed to be more with him, I could see him being a fly in the ointment. But I could also see there being this tug of war between Gene wanting to just cut bait and run from this situation and like feeling like maybe the the human tug maybe he will be sympathetic to the idea that you know he's just manipulated mary maybe he maybe he will try to be somewhat helpful or at least not damaging but i feel like it's much more likely to be that if there's more jeffy it's going to be jeff being a you know a, a, an antagonist to gene let me ask you this this is all just theories this, i have no idea i haven't read anything about it but 
considering how far in the future this is and how, like, you know, as we've already said, do you think now there's a chance that's established that at some point in these next few episodes we could actually see Jimmy die? I'm not putting it past, I'm not putting that, like, past them because it's Breaking Bad and, and that universe. Because Jimmy's story is sort of like comedy and tragedy, right? Like, that's what it is. Right. But maybe there is even shades of Bob Odenkirk's actual life, like Jimmy dying alone and depressed from a heart attack in his sad apartment would be oddly fitting for everything that has come before. Like this, this episode answers more about who Jimmy is to me than the rest of the entire show. Because it's that, it's, it's that, it's that integrated version I've been talking about. He's cause he, cause he's, oh, and we're also the timeline. We're yeah. seeing him so far in the future. Like this is the guy he is old dog, new tricks, not happening. Like he is this person, but the rest of the show, I'm like, who is Jimmy? Like, is he a, is he a greasy scumbag who doesn't actually have a heart? Or is is there actually something there? And is it is and does he actually have a connection to Kim? Is that real, or is he using her too? You know what I mean? Like, there's all these questions, and I feel like this episode was more. This is who he is. <laughs> this is the true Jimmy. With this show now, especially sitting where we are now, I don't know what is coming, nor do I know exactly what I want, No, which is interesting because I'm like, I, I don't know what I want from from Jimmy's, the end of Jimmy's story. I don't know if I need anything else. I feel like, like you said at the beginning of this episode, to some degree, there is sort of an end here. Like, we're, it's like you could leave here. Nippy could have been the last thing we ever see, yeah. and it kind of works. It's kind of an end, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have any wants from the next few episodes. There, everything is a surprise to like get. They're gonna have to give the audience what they don't know they want, right? Like, that's this whole show now. Well, think about this: if you look at it as they usually do ten episodes in a season, and this season has thirteen, and they didn't conceive of it as one that was broken in the middle by a six-week gap. So, like, we even though they did have a great cliffhanger for us when Howard got shot at the end of episode seven, that wasn't planned that way. So like right. this was thus far we've seen a 10 episode story. This is a normal season. If it had been that the penultimate episode did the time jump we just saw and had Kim breaking up with Jimmy and then the last episode was this, it would feel totally of a piece with this show. It's almost like we're getting three extra episodes now that we're just I mean I said this before the most this one too, the fourth when we had four left, I said, "Well, now anything they do is whatever they do and we have no idea like cuz Lalo's dead." Even if there is some storyline that brings Jimmy closer to Gus, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of life-threatening anything for either of those characters at this point. And I don't well, think, we know they can't talk, right? But also, there's not time to there's no there's no secondary or or tertiary characters to put in danger. Um, the, the pieces are set yeah. for Breaking Bad, right. right? I mean, like everything is set up, so you, like nothing needs to move anymore. But I also have faith that the show has something up its sleeve. Exactly. And that's kind of where what you were saying a minute ago is so I feel like I relate to so much is that like, I'm, I'm glad there's more, but I don't, and, and there's certain things I, I do want to see some kind of Gene, Gene and Kim connecting in some way, even if it's just a phone call. I do think catching up with seeing where Kim is a few years after she left Jimmy, I think that is an intriguing epilogue thing that I want to see. But I also feel like what you said, I don't have this prescribed notion of where the story's going outside of where it's already taken us. And the big thing I was hoping for, and I've said all along is, boy, I sure hope we get a whole episode about Gene. I sure hope, I sure and hope, we did. And, and they did, yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm saying like, oh, wait a minute. It's almost like they just wrapped up a, 
uh, one of those typical prestige television seasons where the penultimate episode has all the heavy shit in it, and then the last episode is some kind of epilogue uh, or it's or like mood uh, Endgame and then uh, Spider Man, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly, just you know, like, like that. It's that. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like a little, little little relief at the end. It's been such a cool way to wrap things up thus far. Um, I don't know. Are are you? Looking forward to the Walton Jesse cameo, or are you worried about it? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I have more faith in this show to think that they're going to have next week. It's just like Walton Jesse show up and they're like, "Hey, camera, what's mm-hmm. up?" You know, and that's it. I I don't think they're going to do anything cheap like that. But I'm also like, why the hell do we need to see them? I I don't know that I need that. I get how cool it is because it's cool to see Walter White again and everything and Jesse. But I don't know what where the I guess my doubts will be proven wrong because I know they'll prove me wrong. But I'm also like, I, I don't know what you got for me. I'm right there with you. I mean, I completely trust that they're going to pull it off in some cool way. But I don't know that it's something I I need from this show. Do we sound like jaded fans here? Like that saying asking for more is bad. Like, you know how like we've learned over the years that constantly asking for more, is it just turns out bad all the time. I think we are. I think we you feel know? like this is a story you that's know? been well told and that as much as it's been these two shows that have run long and we've gotten lots of storytelling, including El Camino, that there's also something about it that feels like it hasn't overstayed its welcome. So the notion that they've got three more ep- it might. three more episodes yeah. left to fuck it up when, when they could not, especially that this last episode could have been this beautiful coda to the character. Um, but I just feel like, yes, the, the fact that they know they got, they've got more places to go. And when you look at the people that are responsible for the next few episodes, it's the, you know, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould are writing and yeah. directing episodes. The next one is written and directed by Thomas Schnauz, who's like one of the long running creators on this whole universe. And he always is like, his episodes always have this kind of like, they feel like great crime stories. So I could see this being like, this is the playground of the people who, who, know this character the best maybe these last what few if, episodes <laughs> what if the last episode was like a clip show it's like oh God. you know what i mean like bob and kirk comes out he's like you know it's been a great you know 300 episodes or whatever and then it's like let's see some of our highlights like remember you know how sitcoms do that what if it's like that's how walt and jesse are on the show too is that it's hosted yeah. by those three guys come out and sit down i mean, remember they did okay they do have a sense of humor. Remember when they filmed the Malcolm in the Middle thing for the DVD yeah. on Breaking Bra- Baking? Like, there is that sense of humor running through the show. I don't think they'd actually do it within the show, but I wouldn't hate it if they did, like, a clip show as a joke. And they, they told the whole fan base, Walt and Jesse are back, like you just said. And it's just for, like... <laughs> It's just for that. Well, we've had a lot of crazy times, haven't we? I would love it. Yeah, haven't we? Let's look back at some of our favorite moments there. Okay, Brian, hit it. You know, it's like... (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't affect the narrative either, so I I would totally be about it. The interesting thing would be if the episode before it ended at one of those points that could be an ending, but that knowing there's one left, you you view it as a cliffhanger. You're like, what what Yeah, right. And then the next one comes in, and it's like a clip show. The, The subversive person in me is like oh my god to ruin a show like this to piss everyone off i would laugh if so there was hard. magic in the next three episodes or if at the yeah. end what if at the end like uh gene, gene i mean gets, bob odekirk is a subversive comedy yeah. genius don't tell me it couldn't happen but like what if there is a moment where jeff is trying to say i can fuck you man we're not gonna you're not you're not out and i'm not out we're gonna do crimes together um and he has a gun on saul they wrestle for it or gene they wrestle for it. this is at, in the middle of the cinnabon it has to be a big scene they wrestle for it the gun goes off 
Gene falls dead. Then after a few seconds, there's a sparkle. And then like superimposed, Bob Odenkirk stands up over his body and looks down <laughs> and goes, well, be seeing you. And he turns around and he walks up <laughs> a, like a like just a little stairway of clouds that forms under his feet um, and goes off into the sky. I mean, I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I don't think I would believe a single fan fan, fan theory right, right. now. I, I like. I consider you the biggest Saul fan I know, and I have no theories. And you don't. You have no theories at all. Like, I had theories about the last few episodes that that some of them came yeah. true. Now I'm just like, all right, I, where, what is going to happen? My, my only theory going, is not hey, a theory. I'm here, so it's the know. Kim part. It's just that I believe yeah. that Gene and Kim are going to have some kind of interaction. I don't know what it would mean, but I know that I feel like that's where. Even if it's a phone call. Right. I feel like that's, or him knocking on her door and she answers it and then it goes to credits. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's some moment coming with those characters that is, that is re- not so much redeeming him, but just paying off the, the, the place he's in, <laughs> in, in his life. It zooms out yeah. there in a snow yeah. globe and then. <laughs> well, maybe when he walks up the, <laughs> yeah. the star stairs after that, I want to she comes out, of, like right. her head opens up and her mouth and he, he jumps into her mouth at the end and then she floats away or something. I don't know. It's it's still workable. There's still time. <laughs> well, uh, before we wrap things up, was there anything else you wanted to say just about the the show or the sort of the state of the characters or anything like that? I mean, in a weird way, uh, this is not an, uh, a criticism, but in a weird way, Jimmy isn't as funny or funny at all anymore to me. Right. Like, like in Breaking Bad, Bob Odenkirk is genuinely funny. Like, he is a funny character. He, he can be that because we don't know the story, right? But now, after six seasons of this, it's all even the funny stuff's kind of sad, right? Like right. it's it's they they in the best way possible they took away that part of it. They made us wait six seasons to see the really fun stuff of Saul, mm-hmm. and then made us realize that it wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> it's not fun at <laughs> yeah. all. Yeah, I can't think of another precedent like this for any other show where a side character on a show was given this type of treatment in a prequel. Can you? Is it? Is it? I mean, I think there have probably been times where you'd be surprised to know that this started off being a story where this, you know, like they didn't know this character was going to be the main character or something. But I, 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 they don't spring to mind for me. No modern examples. Well, where another show was created yeah. or another as a prequel. Right. No, yeah. I can't think of that happening. I'm probably wrong, but I can't think I mean, of for it. For some reason, I'm thinking about things like, oh, the Fonz was never meant to be like the biggest character on Happy Days, but he kind of became the, but that's not, that's or not, Urkel or that's something. not quite the same thing as what we're talking about. That's not the same. Where it's like you actually do a prequel. Well, but also I don't know that many people have tried to tell this kind of story where the original story is like nestled within this story in a way that makes them both more powerful, yeah. you know? Well, I think that's about all I have to say about this. Bob, where can people find you online if they want to? I know you're kind of on a podcasting hiatus right now, but you do have a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, my podcast is called Thundergrunt. It, it, I'm, it's a movie, mostly a movie podcast. It's going to eventually be an all-movie podcast. We are on a small hiatus now, but we're coming back. Um, so Thundergrunt on any uh, podcasting thing. And I'm at ThundergruntBob on Instagram and Twitter. So you can find me there and yell at me. Tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't. Like, listen to everything we just said. We have no clue what we're saying. Yeah, you just wasted this time and we can't give it back to you. Yeah.
For more episodes of this show, as well as others like it, look for FYIZ wherever you get your podcasts.